Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Founder Stories. I am super excited to be releasing this conversation. Our guest is super awesome, very smart, and gives out so much wisdom. So grab a pen and paper and be ready to take the notes. But before I introduce him, I want to take this moment to express my gratitude to you who come here every single week and listen to these incredible episodes with the most amazing guests. Your support means the world to me and provides me the fuel and motivation to go out there and find these amazing people and record these conversations in order to bring them back to you. So thank you, thank you, and thank you. Our guest today is my very good friend, Eitan. Eitan is the founder and managing director of a VC firm called VGames. VGames is one of the largest gaming VC firms in the world. His last fund, which he closed around two months back, was $160 million. Now, in this conversation, we speak about so many things, about Eitan, his upbringing, how he got into venture, venture capital, how he set up his firm, the whole gaming industry, and what's the future of gaming, but also what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And we're constantly balancing the conversation between personal life and work, and how to balance both of them together. It was a fire, fire conversation. Eitan, thank you so much for this incredible conversation. I have personally learned a lot, and every time I re-listen to it, I learn something new. So thank you, and I truly value our friendship. This recording is brought to you by the Goodness and Kindness Foundation. If you're walking down the street, smile to a stranger. Do a good deed for someone else. Let's all strive to make our impact in this world in order to make, in order to make the world a better dwelling place for everyone. Now, if you do benefit this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Because when you subscribe and leave a review, more people will be able to find the podcast. And when more people are able to find the podcast, we're able to make a bigger impact in this world. So thank you and have a great listen. Hey everyone, I'm super, super excited to have with us a very special guest for Founder Stories. Today we have the absolute honor to host an absolute incredible legend. If you're gonna go ahead and Google his name, a lot of incredible things are gonna come up. But I am super excited to have Eitan here with us, who is actually the managing director of a new VC firm called V Games which has an incredible, incredible amount of money, which they recently raised. And it is one of the top VC firms in gaming, not just in Israel, but in the whole entire world. So I'm very excited to hear his story about that. But not only that, Eitan is the father to four beautiful children, an incredible husband, and just an all around super honest, humble, blunt guy. So I'm very, very excited to have him with us so he can share his personal story not just his story about how he got into venture and how he's building one of the best v VC firms for gaming, but in general, how he improves himself and make it, makes himself better every single day. So Eitan, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. And uh, I already know that I have to send the link when you finish to my wife. So after all the compliments, but they're well-deserved. So <laughs> Just send her my number. I'll tell her directly. That's it. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. That's what I'll do. I'll open a WhatsApp group and connect you guys. <laughs> Something like that did happen once. Like someone's like, just send it to my really? wife, and he actually did create a group. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. You see, so I'll be the second. Let's start. What are you grateful for today? Wow, that's a brilliant question. I like the way we're starting. What I'm grateful: health, I guess, right in these crazy times, and four beautiful kids and my family. So, I try to be grateful for things that are important. Business is important because that's the engine. But it's second to many other things, of course. So now we have a beautiful business and beautiful portfolio and beautiful founders, but that's really 
wake up every day in the morning, say thank you, get into the car and start rolling. So that's where I think we're grateful, right? Friendship, you know, all the important factors in life. Wow. So you mentioned something interesting. Business is second. As an entrepreneur and most entrepreneurs, and I think, and a lot of times people will say VCs and entrepreneurs, I think managing directors of VCs are definitely entrepreneurs because like they started their own company and they have to respond to their boss, which is LP. So they're an entrepreneur too. How do you make that distinction? And how do you really like try to keep that, I wouldn't call it balance because I don't believe in the work-life balance, but more like work-life integration, but like to really keep the focus that whatever happens to my business is, ha- is going to happen. But me personally, I'm okay. I'm fulfilled. I'm good. And no matter what, then as entrepreneurs, it's very hard to make that distinction. Yeah, so I think I'd life, I'd say that it's perfect because nothing is, right? And we evolve and learn every day. But I've been in the business world for 15 years now. Before that, I had a long army service. You know, I'd experienced a lot of things, ups and downs and conflicts with myself and what's the right balance. So I think one of the things I've learned in the past years, and I think it's a great point, is there's no right or wrong or this, or there's no truth on how to do it. It's at the end of the day what you feel comfortable with and what your partner feels comfortable with and what your children feel comfortable with, right? So today, V-Games is my baby. It's my fifth, and it's as important because it is important. And that's what energizes me every day, and that's what I'm passionate about, and I've built it. I'm totally an entrepreneur. We can t- talk about that in later on but starting a vc is totally like starting a company with with separate challenges and separate ups and downs but i think that the right balance is not to over try and build a balance i think it has to find itself and when you go on an entrepreneurial route no matter what you're doing is the entire family is involved because there are days where you're more busy and there are days are less and your days you're happier and days that you're less and you know, it's part of a sacrificing as a company, but I think I'm much better in that today than I was five or 10 years ago. I can tell you that in a positive way, I think COVID helped out a lot because I used to be flying a lot, literally every week, you know, US, Asia, Europe. And now I think we've learned in the hard way, but we've learned what's important, you know, because when you're in flights, you're not home at night. And, you know, when you home, you're jet lagged and you get prepared for the next flight. So actually that's like an external sign for all of us you know and it, and it helped me it actually helped me a lot i'd get on a plane i'd say in a back perspective many things that i could have probably done on a call and be spend more time with my kids afternoons evenings and stuff like that so you know again we're evolving and learning every day what's the right thing and what's wrong yeah definitely besides all the craziness that happened and like one of the benefits of COVID was actually this fact, this perspective that we could actually, we don't have to travel anywhere. We could do everything via Zoom, you know, and also make realization that all of us are human. All of us in the, the day are human beings, children, family, and is, which are the more important things. I think when you have like extreme stuff, of course, COVID brought a lot of terrible things, you know, and death and, and, and health, et cetera. But it, when, when people are brought down to basics, then you have to start thinking, right? And I think that's a big thing that happened, right? So if I have, it's not that I don't miss traveling. Of course I do. Business trips, mm-hmm. you get some mind to yourself. You can run in the morning instead of taking kids to Ghan or to preschool, whatever it is. But, <laughs> you know, but then, you know, if I had to go back to a normal world of traveling, etc., I travel much less. I do think, you know, I've invested in 15 companies without meeting the founders physically. 
<laughs> think about that. Sending over millions of dollars from one bank account to the other bank account without even having coffee. Before that, as an investor, I'd always have coffee or beer or a drink with the founder, you know, because there's also a personal, you know, connection, not only a business connection to it. So, yeah, but but again, I think that's what makes the world exciting. Things change and what was right yesterday probably won't be right tomorrow and for sure won't be right in the next weeks. Right. So it gives a lot of to life. Totally, totally agree with that. So how do you make sure that what was right today is not necessarily right tomorrow? And what's right tomorrow is not necessarily what's right today. And using that as your growth perspective on a daily basis and in general in your life for growth. You mean on a personal level or on a business level? On a personal and a professional level. Yeah, so I think on a professional level, you know, you have to stay you know, connected to what's really happening, right? Let's talk specifically about my industry. Games involves everyday business models, type of content, where people consume, you know, et cetera. So one of the things that I mandate myself and I ask our my employees and our founders, like what we call the V-Games families, to play all the time. You know, consume content. If we want to be relevant in this world, we have to consume. I'm telling you, I play at least an hour, an hour and a half a day. You know, in between being a father and running a VC, because otherwise I think I won't be able to have intellectual conversations with folks that are coming to pitch things because most likely they'll be talking about trends that I I don't even know what they are. So, you know, that that's one angle. Second angle is like a kid grows up and when uh, he's two years old and four years old and 10 years old, there are different needs and different types of conversations, etc. So on a personal perspective, I just turned 40. So it's, I think it's a good, in Hebrew, there's a saying, it's like a, there's a drama. So I think that drama happened to, hap, well, happened to me, I think, at the age of 37, 38. So maybe I, it happened before the 40s. But, you know, it's you just have to wake up every morning or every week or every month and just, you know, tick a few boxes and say, am I happy with this? Am I doing what I want to do? And, and that's, I think, what brings really a lot of fulfillment to life, right? Because it's all about fulfillment. If we're happy, then everything else doesn't matter. If we're not, then it doesn't matter what we have. <laughs> Just will never make us happy, right? And that's much more than uh, materialized things, capital, cash, whatever it is. So how do you measure that fulfillment with yourself? What are you measuring yourself against? Is it more like you go ahead and create a goal saying, like, I want to invest X amount of companies, or is it like, X amount of returns to investors, or even in your personal life. Okay, I want to run a marathon, and then measuring yourself against it to enter the field. No, it's actually it's a great question. I think the most important thing that gives you fulfillment is feedback. So what you hear from your founders, what you hear from your business partners, what you hear from your LPs, you know, because at the end of the day, that's probably the most like measuring yourself. I'd always say it's easy. Like I, this is something I, I I usually don't share, but one of the things I tell my employees at Google, and I had a lot of them is the way I would measure their success is how much job offers they get, right? Which sounds funny, right? Because I'm their manager and why are they getting job offers? But it gives you, you know, it gives you, then you know that you're doing something right because if you're doing something that generates value, that's the feedback you're going to get, right? So sometimes a small message from one of our founders thanking me, and it's that I don't need, we're not doing things to get thanked, right? But if we're doing things and then, you know, do create or generate value on the other hand, then we're doing something right. And that brings in the right co-investors, you know, people that want to do business with you. And I think it's same scope for, for those who will see this and have kids. You know, sometimes you see something in your the eye of your child and you say, wow, you know, we, we do a lot of Jeep tours. So we're, I don't know, hiking or, you know, touring the weekend. And we just came back from the Golan Heights. And, you know, I was sitting with the kids on the snow and, 
you see it in their eyes, you say, okay, I'm doing something right. <laughs> we're, we're in the right direction. <laughs> so it's really, it's small moments of feedback and feedback, I think can come in variations, you know, it can come from verbal, it can come from feelings, it can come from, uh, you know, whatever. But I think that's the best way to measure yourself on impact. And of course, I'm doing good. I try to do a lot of nonprofit and charity work. And again, it's not through, okay, I put another check here. That doesn't mean anything. You know, if you see that you've you've done something, I think that's that's probably the you know the mo- really the most fulfilling thing. It's funny, like it's not about actually giving I mean, giving money itself is an incredible thing, and the most very important thing because it keeps things alive, it keeps things going. And also, I think it's also one of the most selfish things. It's funny how charity works. Charity is beautiful, but it's also selfish because a lot of times it makes us feel better. But charity, at the same time, needs a giver and receiver. So it's not like anyone is better. The receiver has an obligation to receive, and the giver has an obligation to give. So, but it's incredible. I love that you mentioned that aspect. What, what was the feedback that essentially in your life that you received, or let's reframe it, what were one of the most valuable pieces of feedback that you ever received from yourself that helped you um, grow? Or really put things in your life, something in perspective. You're asking difficult questions. This is like therapy. I'm loving it. No, no, it's good. It's good. Go on. Yeah, I just have to make sure that I'm shooting out the right answers. Let's be honest. That's it. There's no, no right I'm or joking. wrong. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But yeah, I think it's. I don't think it's one thing, right? I think it's it's symbolic. It's you know you always like I personally always like to feel that there's something that I the next milestone I can achieve because otherwise I get bored. Right. There's also part of a cool thing of being an investor. You meet new entrepreneurs. The challenges are new. You have broader challenges because every company is in a different stage and different mindset, etc. So for me, that feedback is mainly that I'm hungrier than I was yesterday. Like that's where I want to achieve in terms of everything. It can be financial goals, which it's fine because finance and capital takes you to have more impact and to grow, etc. It can be personal goals it can be i want to do a specific deal and win it or lose it and then learn from it so i don't think it's it's one specific thing i think it's really what what demonstrates at the level of of really of of you know growing every day because otherwise it just becomes more of the same i can tell you in every period in in my life where it became more of the same that's where i got up and moved on because i'm not a mm. person like that i'm I, i'm looking for you know i always want to be on the edge in terms of risk, in terms of everything. I don't want to be in the middle. The middle for me, I don't feel comfortable and then I get upset. So, <laughs> so I try to push myself to the next boundary. One of the things that work, it works for some people, works for doesn't, but yeah, living at the edge, pushing yourself to the extreme to really take the most out of life. Because most times sure. life just passes us by. You mentioned you're 40 yeah. years old now and you've done some really incredible things, but it goes by for a blink of an eye. Just a blink of for an sure. eye. For sure. So how does a 40-year-old guy from Israel end up running, founding, running, and investing. One of the top leading, and leading, I guess, one of the top VC firms in gaming in the world. Where is this boy from? Who is he? What do you like? Where'd you come from? Where's this boy from? We need another hour. But yeah, I've, I've grew up in many places. Maybe that's an important essence of the story. But I was born and raised here in Israel, then moved to New York for a few years, family reasons, and then moved back. And in Israel, we've Lived all the way around from uh, central Israel to I've grown up in a kibbutz down south in Kibbutz Grofit, which is a small hill right by Eilat, which was, I think 99% of the Israelis will not even know when I mention the name where that is or if it's on planet Earth. 
But I, you know, of course, everything that you experience in life is part of you, right? And then I was in the Navy for many years. I was second in command of a big missile ship, and I was uh, second in command of a big uh, stage in the Naval Academy. So, you know, I think you take experiences from everything. And when I decided to set up V-Game, so I started as an angel investor in this space, very quickly understood that this is not the right approach, wanted much more capital to deploy. There was also a Zionist angle to it. Israel is a beautiful gaming environment, but there wasn't a dedicated vehicle to invest in game companies. There are amazing investors in Israel that have been investing heavily in this space, but not as this is not what they were doing day and night. And it's it's a pretty common, like in Europe and Asia and US, there are a lot of dedicated game funds. I think because it, investing in content by itself is a risk and a know-how and does it make sense for a journalist fund to put one or two seeds and not like 20 or 30? Yeah, and a combination of that. I said, okay, so let's set up V-Games. If we're going to do this, let's do it right. If we're going to do it right, let's not only do Israel, because why not? And if we're going to do it, then mm -hmm. let's be one of the best. And uh, that's what I put as a goal from day one. And I think our secret sauce, which is probably not the secret sauce, is just let's find the best founders in the world and back them. because. And that's one of the things, and I'm, I'm sure you spoke to investors in the past, but you know, it all comes down to founders because that's the patience you need when the days are good and that's the patience you need when the days are not that good. But if you have ambitious founders, ambitious goals, optimistic folks, I think that's what we did. We really were privileged to support early on in the fund days. Well, this is less than two years ago, but really, really strong founders and generate value to them. And then they brought the next generation of founders and next generation of founders. And that's what happened. So it happened in Israel and it happened in the US and it happened in Europe and it happened in, you know, in Finland and the Nordics. And, and, and I think that's the essence of building. And as long, you know, our mission in V Games is really to support our founders. That's all we care for. That's how I measure myself, the team. I think as long as we focus on that, we'll always be on the edge of being the most active, the best is, you know, depends how you measure that. But but I want to say that we are the best in terms of, you know, it's not that there aren't. There are other VCs who are doing an amazing job in this space. But I think in terms of the value creation to our portfolio, we're one of the best. And that's what I'm most proud of. And and again, it's really focusing on that. Like, I literally, I can, I, not many people know this, but every month I extract a report to see how much of my time, of my business time, went to our portfolio companies. And if it's not 70 or 80%, then I change the month later my focus because it's wrong. Like we've invested, we're partners, we should be there for them and that's all we should care about. And that's going to be in the next deal, which is a, an amazing deal. And that's what's going to be in the next investor because that's what they know and that's what they heard, you know. And, and that's really where our energy should be put. And that's right for me or anybody on my team. So then on a practical sense, what does that actually mean? Like, does that mean like you're getting on that phone call at 2 a.m. in the morning when the founder's calling you up, you know, going through it? I'll get on a phone call at any any time. We had a company going through a fundraise four months ago. It was a 24-hour process. I was awake. The founder was in the U.S. I was awake 24 hours with the founder, exploring term sheets, sending them back, getting on calls. Of course, you know, that's our job, right? We're, you know, Otherwise, we're like a bank. They can take cash and move on with life, but they're not taking capital because of those reasons, right? Because a lot of our founders are strong and they have a lot of alternatives, right? It's it's really, you know, we have to be partners to them because that's our job. 
So what are the types of support they're providing? You know, every, every VC firm says, yes, we're founder friendly, we're different the founders and some, yes, some more than others, some absolutely yeah. not, but it's, you know, it's, I, I, I divide it into three. One, I think will always be the psychologist because, you know, sometimes founders need who to uh, cry to <laughs> and who to scream at. And then it's fine. It's part of, you know, it's really, it's, it's acceptable and, and, and it's not only acceptable, it's, it's, we're, we're eager for it. So that's one. So I think the second component is like a financial component, but in a way that sometimes when an investor invests in a company, they're like, okay, folks, now there's the next round. Good luck. You know, I'll make some intros. I don't believe in that strategy. I think that we're now on the cap table. It's as much as our job as it's our founder's job, you know, to help with finance, debt financing, etc. Because, you know, I want them to feel hugged and loved. And, you know, we're, that if we're not able to pitch, God forbid, then there's a reason for that. It's also us to blame, not only them to blame, right? And the third, I think... This is very specific for games. Today, most of the capital that we invest in, in general, most of the capital in this industry goes into marketing. Marketing is super expensive. Mm. You want to reach broad audiences. And that's our profession. That's my profession. That's Daniel's profession. And I think that we're able, you know, if we, we supported the largest game developers in the world, building their marketing teams, growing from zero to something. And, and I think, you know, Trying to help them avoid big mistakes in that space is an important component as well, I think, mm -hmm. on that angle. Because, again, that, you know, you make a lot of you make mistakes in marketing. They'll cost you a lot of money. And they can also take the company bankrupt. So I think it's really an angle, of, as I said, of a psychologist, an angle of a bank and an angle of, you know, of, of supporting growth. But, you know, it's sometimes I have a few of our portfolio companies. I'm like their HR company. And the Aiken, can you interview it? Of course, right? If that's what they need, it's, I don't think I know anything better than our founders. I know I don't, but if wherever they need us and we have the capabilities, we'll support. So then how did you go about, as a founder, you mentioned the whole entire process over there, but flip it on yourself, for example, you looking at yourself as a founder, essentially you're a startup too, and you've raised two funds. The first fund was 60 million and the second fund was 140 million. Right. That's a nice, nice amount of money to go on vacation with. But you came from Google. You were at Google for a nice amount of time, first employee in Israel, then you ran the gaming division, and then you mentioned you did some angel investments, you've done some other different types of things, had to your be own on, startup. To be honest, it was a nightmare to raise the first fund. You know, people think, ah, yeah, here we go. I have a $60 million fund, and, and I was totally ignorant into this process, never being a VC. So every, I, I ticked every wrong box. It's, I'm a single GP, didn't have a fund before. Had a track record as an angel investor, but was very young track record, so I couldn't perform. I didn't. I didn't do five thousand x on my capital. But I decided that this is what I want to do, right? And I was persistent about it. And I've made a lot of mistakes of pitching the wrong type of investors because I did not know. But I've learned, and I've learned from every meeting and from every trip on who I shouldn't. And and, and I think that really, you know, it gave me the right angle to what to do. And I think in you know, we were privileged. Seven months from inception, V Games was up and running. It was actually in the first quarantine in Israel, 19th of March, where I did the initial closing. And also there was baby steps. The initial closing of the fund, I think, was $13 million, and we were oversubscribed at 60, right? So, you know, again, entrepreneurship is not easy. I have a lot of days of stress, a lot of days telling my wife, I think I'm going to go back to Google because I don't know how this thing is going to build up. 
but I, I wasn't willing to give up. And, you know, and, and, and I'm a good salesperson. So I convince people that I think I know what I'll do. And uh, here we go. I think we're doing okay. So, uh, you know, so there's no right or wrong here. I think, you know, like any entrepreneur, it's being persistent. It's believing in yourself. That's an important factor. It's believing in the mission statement and learning and learning. I think that's where a lot of folks miss out. Like you really have to listen to the feedback. You have to analyze it. I remember, I think the first trip I did to the U.S., there was, I came back after, I think, 25 meetings and zero yeses. Like, everybody told me no. And instead of, like, getting depressed, I was like, okay, let me classify. These are more traditional LPs or fund of funds. They'll never invest in me because I'm a single GP, first fund, not emerging. So it's like I'm ticking their wrong boxes, wrong. Small VCs, a lot of, uh, sorry, small investors, a lot of attention, but... You know, even if I raise capital funds, so I need to find larger anchors. And, you know, so it's, you play with it. Then I found an anchor. So it changed the story a little bit, right? So you just have to evolve. And also, I think on the first one, I'd say this, I see a lot of, you know, folks who are trying to raise capital, you know, a lot tell you, don't do this. You really have to listen to yourself mainly. Like, you know, even if you have to give a little bit more rights or a little bit less in the economy, et cetera, et cetera, you're on a journey. And this is your first piece of the journey. And the journey is long, and it's really a marathon. It's really not sprints. And I can tell you, I don't regret anything I did in Fund One. Even it was on the, you know, things that, you know, people from outside could say, Ethan, why are you doing this? And this is what brought me to do Fund Two. And I raised Fund Two, I think, in three and a half weeks. You know, and I was oversubscribed by $100 million. So, you know, so as I said, you know, you've learned, you perform, you generate value, and, you know, and then it, and then it works. Wow. I have so many questions. I'm not even sure where to start. First of all, let's start from the beginning. Like, why even start a fund? Why even get into angel investments? You had a good life at Google and you could have done probably a bunch of other stuff. You could probably could have jumped. I'm sure you're pro probably getting a bunch of job offers and you could have jumped ship to another company. You could have stayed in gaming. You could have had that cushion life. You didn't need all those types of stress and all the struggles that come together with it. Why even do it to begin with? You know, what's, wow, what's the I motivation think, behind it? Yeah, so that goes back to my, my getting to the age of 40 at the age of 37, 38. In Hebrew, you say <laughs> mashbel. So after I left Google, I did go work for another company. And for me, it was a very challenging yet most important year of my business life because it helped me understand, one, that if you want to make decisions in life, you have to take a break. And I did. I took a break to think. And two that I really had to go down to the ground roots of what I want to do when I grow up. And I and mm. it came down to said, okay, so now there are a few ways. One, I knew that I want to do something by my own, or I, I want to be the founder. I don't want to work for anybody. I want to work for myself. Like I want my success to be my success and my failure to be my failure. That was one thing. The second thing is I really mapped where my strengths and weaknesses are. And what I know that I'm good at and what I'm not confident that I'm good at. So I was never an operator. Or maybe I was, but not at a scale that if I'd had to build a gaming company, for example, today or a different company, I don't know. So I believe in myself that I'd like to say that I probably would be a good one, but I haven't proven that. On the other hand, of being and, it, and being a, an investor is very much like being a consultant, even maybe a sales consultant and raising capital is like being a sales guy. And you know, I was a pretty good sales guy at Google. 
And I, hopefully I was a pretty good consultant. Again, going back to feedback, because that's what we'd get from our partners, our customers at Google. And I said, okay, so this is a strength that I think I have, or that's the feedback at least, being modest. And then I think the way that I could structure it to do it my own is being an investor. Now, I don't have enough capital at home to go spread millions of dollars all around, but I think that I have the capability of raising it and I think I have their capability of deploying it. And that's, and really from research, I said, this sounds like a good plan for Eitan, reaching the age of 40. And, and that's, you know, and I think I've used the word modest and I think I use that word a lot. It also have to be, you know, you have to be modest, but in a way, right? So you have to say, okay, can I, and this is something, you know, I, I've been through the Naval Academy and many other, you know, like elite programs in life. And you always want to see how you're on the edge. Like you don't want to be in the average. You want to be average and above. And I ask myself, do I think I can be better than others? And again, in a modest way, like if I play this right, do I think I can bring something that's different to the table, that's an angle to the table, access better deals, etc.? And I thought that, yes. And, and that's what brought me to set up B-Game. So I said, this is an entrepreneurial thing. It's my own. You know, I'm the father and mother of this or mother and father of this. Of course, I have investors. Of course, I have LPs. But I define the way. I define the strategy. I define the path. I define where the offices will be, you know. And I have to take the losses if we take the losses. And I understand that risk. And, and, and that's it. And that's what brought me to this entrepreneurial path, which I'm loving every day. Because I think that I took the breath of making, of thinking and then making a decision. You, you mentioned something very interesting, your, your time in the, in the Navy and attend, being able to attend elite, I guess, performance seminars or performance types of things. What does make an elite performer? I guess somebody elite and like the things you t- you've taken from the Navy and applied to your career right now and to your life and like being able to attend these elite places. Um, what are the things that you've been able to, to learn about yourself? So someone else can can take inspiration from that and learn. Yeah, to... I think I think it's it's a great question. I think that you know, of course, uh, Navy has its own challenges for itself, right? But I mean, I did almost I think seven and a half year career service. But uh, yeah, I touched upon it a little bit. But you can't in these places if you want to succeed, if you want to make the decisions, if you want to get to the places where you choose and you're not mandated to. You you just you always have to be better than others. And it's in a good way, because if everybody wants to be better than others, it will even put, push you even further, right? And, and I think that's, that's what motivates me, right? So it's not that I wake up in the morning and say, wow, I'm better. No, I don't care about that. But I want it to generate the right energy for me to try, right? To try being the best investor, to try being the best father, to try being the best husband, right? And it's not that I'm successful always. If my wife was here on the call, she'd probably say she'd probably agree with that one. But you know, but at least I know that I'm trying, right? And and I think that's an important component. It's it's really, you know, if one thing I you know I've taken many things of the Navy. I I tell people often that a ten before the Navy and after the Navy is a very different person. Like they, you have to be a a family member, not even a team player in in the Navy. You know, you at the end of the year, small teams these big missile boats running around the world, you know, challenged by, you know, by stuff that we can't discuss, but also challenged by the sea. And, you know, all this brings you together to like really to the extremes. So I think that that's what you learn all the time, that you always have to be a little bit better than, right? You have to be 
able to be capable with these extremes, etc. And of course, you know, that takes me, it took me at Google. I always wanted to be the best. And I always wanted to be the best performance in terms of where we hit our KPIs and the growth and my employees and the team. And I also always wanted my teams to be the best, you know, my employees are to be the best team members, etc. So, so of course that's, you know, that's something that I take to date and, you know, and, and you always try to benefit from it because I think that's how you win. Right. And I like when we talk about becoming the best, it's not an egotistical type of way and people should understand this. It's becoming the best for the, in order to become the best in that way. Because when we become the best, doesn't we mean we're able to show off other people the best way possible too. Right. So it's not just we're becoming the best because from a place that, oh, we want, yes, we do want to become the best because when we do become the best, we feel like we can make the biggest impact here in this world. And we're living our fullest capabilities. Right. Yeah, it's only for us. It's and, not for, it's not with competing with anybody. It's really, goes back right. to fulfillment. It's really for, you know, when we go to sleep, close our eyes, and that's the last thought before uh, <laughs> we move on to the next morning. So before I even ask you, like, you know, what when you shut your eyes, what does that fulfillment process look like at the end of the day? What's a good day? We have to talk about, you know, gaming for a second because you are a VC. End of the day, you are a VC in gaming. Yeah, yeah. So Activision being acquired right now. Zynga being acquired, and we have Web3 coming about, we have tokens, we have NFT, we have the metaverse. I mean, what does the future of gaming even look like? And, you know, this timing of this episode is probably the most, you know, know, there's a reason for everything. So let's uh, let's, uh, use that one. But the fact, you know, put aside, everything is trans and Web3 and NFTs and tokens and, and, and free to play and play to earn and everything is right. But I think really in a week like this, you can't discuss anything regarding gaming and not talk about the deal of Activision, you know, Microsoft acquiring Activision, because I think, you know, people talk about the metaverse. Microsoft just demonstrated the biggest move in metaverse ever, you know, in, in probably in humanity. Because when a tech giant that is a cloud provider and a software provider and a hardware provider, actually, I just wrote the memo to our investors and I actually use that quote exactly, understands. Mm-hmm. That content is driving everything. That content is queen or king or however you want to phrase it. That says so much, mm-hmm. right? Because think about it. When I'm using an Xbox now, I don't care that I'm consuming an Xbox. Why? Because the remote control moves, has better movement. You know, I care about what I have on the screen. What, what, how am I entertained? How that makes me feel, right? How, where other places can I consume what I'm consuming now? How can I socialize with that content? And that's the world, right? And when you see a company like Microsoft, and this is not the first acquisition they did. They've done a lot of strategic stuff about this. But when you see this leap of faith into this world of content, you understand that not only games today is bigger than the music and film industry combined, but this is where the people, these, this is where people spend their time. This is where their eyeballs are. This is what they're feeling. These are the emotions. You know, we spoke about COVID before. It even accelerated that, right? So I think that Mm -hmm. this deal demonstrates that regardless of what's happening in public markets, things are going to go down, things are going to go up, there are going to be trends, et cetera. It all comes down to content. And content is king. You know, I get asked a lot about Web3. I answer the same thing. If the content is good and people can consume it and enjoy it, and there's another business model that applies to it, perfect but the business model will never be the driver like the xbox will never be the driver the cloud surface or the infrastructure will never be the driver 
and and that's really i think you know i i am telling you i read that and i was like super excited i was like texting a few of our lps and a lot of our portfolio companies and folks look at this this day will be remembered in the industry and the history of games this is where now if we thought of strategic exits and and where this industry is going to we would say who can acquire who and who can we grow and let's be bigger then this is totally changed now right and I expect Amazon to do the same and Google to do the same and Facebook to do the same and Netflix to do the same and other tech companies. We don't even, you know, we can't even dream that this is where we're going to go. But again, content is where people entertain, where people consume, where people socialize. And that's that's really the basics of humanity, right? So here we're in the business of humanity. That's why I love games because games is fun. You know, it's fun to talk about games. That's what I do all day. I talk about games, right? So, and I play games because that's what I do for a living. So, you know, I, my kids work, walk around proud. My daddy, that's what he does. All he does is games all day and we're playing games. And this is my father's game and et cetera. But, you know, joke, you know joking aside, it's really, the, that's the essence of it. And I really think that the leadership of Microsoft in the past two, three years are proving that they totally get it. They totally, totally get it. They get it A to Z. Actually, I, I highly recommend anybody anybody that's hearing us now go and read what the CEO of Microsoft wrote about. You know, there are a few interviews with him about this deal. And I think every word there is a word of wisdom, really. Mm, definitely to check it out. It, it's interesting. Like, de- definitely, it, it, you see, like, you know, gaming, it's been around for a long time, but you see, like, recently how it's becoming, it's, uh, gaming is, you know, huge industry, obviously, but becoming the norm and it's coming to the sense where, you know, everyone you know has a Twitch account and everyone has a Discord account, and you know you combine those two, you're able to start raking in you know sponsorship fees, and then you have all the all the competitions, and then you have all the teams, and then you have, I mean, there's no end to it. It goes on and on. It's and it really like you know to a certain degree, it's almost like an entrepreneurship in the sense that every single kid these days wants to be a professional gamer. Right. Right. Yeah, we're all content creators and streamers. <laughs> Exactly. exactly that exactly that so it, it is interesting so like going back to what you said that like this is probably the, one of the biggest things to happen you know microsoft acquiring activision and it's it's going to be like amazing i'm going to read what the what the ceo wrote and, and it's going to be obviously amazing to see where the future goes or what they plan on doing with it and when they have microsoft already has xbox and everything all the other things over there what do you think gaming is going to turn into besides the content aspect of it with the way the health yeah. technology is going forward. Yeah, I think I think one, it's gonna be further distributed than it is today. Like I think we're still if we think about it, we still have limited platforms to play on. And I have a close friend who's the CEO of one of the big public companies. He says that people can play on stoves if we only allow them. And I really you know, mm. again we speak a lot about metaverse and visual stuff, etc. But it, let's take Fortnite for example. In Fortnite today you can play a game, a first party shooter. But on the other hand, you can also be in a chat room and chat for, and I, I'm telling you, I know, well, it's, it's statistics. People can be on Fortnite and just chat all day and not even have one game session, you know, and then you can also mm-hmm. go to a party on Fortnite or a live event, etc. right? So if you think about this, you know, and again, it goes back to a lot of the conversations around metaverse, etc. So sometimes we say metaverse, okay, this is going to be a virtual uh, work environment. Maybe, but, you know, but if we spend today, and there are countries where people above 18 in average spend four, five, six hours a day in games playing, 
Wow. Right? So there's so much content you can surface in that. So, you know, I predict that people will consume on more platforms. I believe that the type of content is only going to grow and we're going to see more and more type of content come out. And I think that we're going to see a lot of combinations of games. I think games in e-commerce is an interesting approach. Games in economies in general are an interesting approach. That's where maybe play to earn embeds a little bit. Socializing, of course. You know, and there is, it's not a secret that Facebook are trying to do a lot of things on making their platform more gamification or more gamified. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of there's a lot of aspects. You know, there's also, of course, the VR, AR world. But but I think that's I think it's a content first strategy. If it makes sense in terms of content, it will be consumed there. If it doesn't, then it's a different angle to the story. Exactly. But I actually spoke for a company recently. I think you actually know them. That is doing the the new the new term. It's the first time I ever heard of it. Gcom, you know, yeah. the gaming e-commerce products. Uh-huh. They take Fortnite. You know, Fortnite has built a huge, huge, incredible, incredible following. I wouldn't even call them followers. These are like avid, avid disciples. I don't even know what you want to call them, because you have you have the Fortnite competition. You have every kid, every single kid playing Fortnite. I mean, they've done yeah. the network effect. That everything amazing. Amazing. The billions of dollars that people spend on Fortnite equipment. Insane. They obviously did something right. I'm assuming you have thoughts about the, the Fortnite Apple, the lawsuit. Yeah. It's a, it's a, when two, two giants uh, fight, but one, you know, it, it's, it's, it's great to see that, you know, Apple or people can think otherwise, right? I, I'm not taking sides here, but I think it's, I think it's great because we're living in an open world and an open environment. And I think that's, Terrific. I'll give you my opinion on this. Actually, I spoke about this publicly in the past as well. You know, on the contrary, or if you look on the Apple Google angle, you know, they are surfacing opportunities. If you think about it, if you're a game developer today, developing a game on on mobile, you don't have to go out in the world and search for the game. There's a destination place where you go. It's the Play Store, the you know, the iTunes, and you go into the store and and you can. Search for games because you know that that's where you're going to get them, right? So if you're going to buy a, I don't know, a camera, you're going to go into a camera store and you're not going to have to walk the streets and hope you're going to find into a grocery store that maybe sells cameras. So there's, I think, a lot of sense of, of, you know, of taking a piece of the pie. The question is if the piece of the pie is not too much. My personal perspective is yes. And I think the reason is because not 30% is a lot or not. One, it's, it's a fee that's a recurring fee. And I don't know why the first and the second recur- you know, fees should be the same. That's one. Two, a lot has happened in this industry. Marketing expenses become more expensive. Acquiring cu- customers or users are more expensive. And it's like this is fixed for years. So, you know, right. should it be doubted or questioned? 100% yes. What the right figure is, I don't know. Well, we're seeing movement, I think. But in general, I think we're living in a liberal world. And if one company thinks A and the other company thinks B, they should totally discuss it, right? Maybe they can discuss it not only in court, but sometimes it gets there as well. And I think it's healthy. It's healthy that there are healthy debates around this world, right? Because otherwise we'll have monopolies and that's dangerous. So I don't want to say that I'm a big fan of the lawsuit, but I am a big fan of the lawsuit because I think it surfaces big questions on content creation, on creator economy, many other things just about the specific argument between Apple and Epic. When you think about it, Epic are also a platform, right? You can build games today in, on Epic and and then put them in the Epic Store, etc. So they're also playing the platform angle to things. 
right? So it's also demonstrating mm -hmm. on how they're going to take this approach, etc. So, okay, I think there's only good that can happen out of this entire environment. Well, I mean, hopefully, we definitely have to look for the good aspect. But I like the fact that there's so much there to 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 learn. This argument sure. is just much more than sure. Apple Epic. It's more about the whole entire creator economy to begin with. So much has been said, compacted into this hour, which we're coming up on. And I can't believe it's been an hour already. And I think I'm going to have to email your secretary right now to book another hour just to continue and keep it going. <laughs> so much has been said. I mean, so much, a lot, a lot. But when it comes to the practicality, practical, the first thing is, is what is something that's non-obvious to other people, but obvious, obvious to you or a non-obvious type of habit that has been instrumental to your growth personally and professionally into making, making you into who you are? Let's separate that as a professional and a personal level. So as a professional, you know, double down or double click into the professional level. If you want to be part of the games industry, my biggest tip in the world is play. Because otherwise, you're not relevant. You know, so if your dream come true is to be part of this beautiful ecosystem that's called gaming, just play and play and play and play and spend hours in playing and tell your parents that you should continue playing because it's an important factor, right? Don't forget to socialize and do other things in life, but it's an important factor. You know, but again, I think on a higher level, on a business perspective is, you know, make ambitious goals and maybe it sounds very trivial and, and, and chase them. Because that's what's fun. Right. Just throw out those ambitious goals, enjoy risk, and go capture them. Because that's how you win, and that's how you win big time. On a personal level, it's a great question, right? I don't know what's the right answer. I can tell you what I do is I, I question myself all the time. And sometimes I have the right answers. Sometimes I have answers that I'm not that happy with. And then I try to change them, and I try to challenge them as well. But it's, it's just, again, wake up every day in the morning. Say thank you for what you have and what you're not happy with. See how you change it. Sometimes it's your power. Sometimes it's others' power. But try that. And, and, and it's key, right? Because otherwise you'll never be fulfilled and you'll find yourself at the age of 40, 50, 60, whatever it is, and you'll look back and you say, shit, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? And it's not easy. I, I, I've, for many years I haven't done this right and I still make a lot of mistakes. But I'm getting better. For sure I'm getting better. So, you know, and, and maybe I think we, we're, we're at the end, but I'll add one more component to it. I think also doing good is a super important factor in life. And as we said before, doing good is not, it's a mission. Like, so I, I try, and again, it's not because you put 500K somewhere or $500 and, and now you feel good yourself. Like, try to balance something that's out of your day-to-day and sometimes that phone call, that, you know, that gesture, that help, I think is critical because that's really what, you know, closes the 360. You know, it, it really gives you the, that's the true fulfillment because right. then you know that you, one, you can measure it and two, you know that you're doing something right. You know, I can tell you that I report in my quarterly report to my investors what I've done good in the past quarter. Regardless of V-Games, regardless of business, regardless of anything, it's important to me because one, then they know, you know, they're getting to know Aten as a person, not only as a VC that's taking their capital and hopefully he's going to invest it right. But to tell you a secret, it's more for me because that's a high measure that I'm also focusing on the right thing and not only the materialized things. So then what do you tell young Aten then that just left the army and has the whole entire world in front of him? Everything. He's 21 years old, 22 years old. I mean, you're there for longer. So, but let's say, you know, he has the whole entire, the world is his oyster. 
He could do whatever he wants, anything. Become a gamer, just a bum sitting on the couch, become an entrepreneur, become a surfer, whatever it may be. What's that one piece of advice? That's an easy one. Be modest. You know, it's so important in life, really. Just be modest. Even if you believe you're the best in the class, start from something, grow, prove yourself. Because the, right. the biggest falls are people that are not modest. Really. And it doesn't matter how much money they have in their bank accounts, who they are, who are they, you know, who are they born to. Just be modest. You know, respect everyone around you and every step you make. Because otherwise, maybe you'll succeed, but the chances are not high. Wow. Eitan, I want to thank you. I mean, this, this flew by quickly. This was, a, a, forget about the fun aspect, but I've learned personally a lot from this conversation. And I know no doubt it's going to benefit the, the thousands of listeners. It's going to inspire them too to take action in their life because there's so many tidbits and, and pieces of information over here that could really help somebody improve. So I want to thank you for that. And also, I want to wish you a vegan. <laughs> I'm obviously here for your family and for you any way I possibly could help. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Eitan and you're able to apply something to your personal or professional life today. Now, to make sure that you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes, don't forget to subscribe. Now, have a fantastic week and I hope to see you back next week with a brand new episode.